God, thank you for your promises that are true even when we can't feel them, even when we're not sure. God, some of us are in a place, a frame of mind today that it makes it hard to trust. Help us, even in these moments, to trust and to abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I didn't do this last service, but I just wanted to start by sharing this passage. Uh, it's important for today's topic. It's from Romans 5. You don't have to look it up. Just listen. Listen to the words. It says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So uh, this is part three of a series called Scars. If it's your first Sunday here, don't feel like you're, you're left out or feeling left behind. We try to plan each week so that they're independent and freestanding. And so I think you'll be all right if this is your first week here or if you missed the first two weeks of this series. I missed y'all last week. I was in the Woodlands preaching for a youth conference up there and Pastor Gio uh, is an amazing preacher and I'm so glad that uh, she's my wife and part of this uh, community and she uh, did an amazing job. Um, Today we're gonna pick up where she left off by talking about scars. Uh, We've moved through the week one where we talked about Jesus's scars and how they showed Thomas how to believe even in the midst of his doubt, doubting Thomas, remember? Last week Gio talked about the story of Ruth and how to trust God through seasons of pain and suffering. Today we're gonna talk about how to make sense of things, how to make sense of life when things go wrong, how to make sense of suffering, and how to move, uh, how to move past just asking, why me, God, or just why God, and moving toward asking questions like, okay, God, uh, where are you in this? God, what's next here? God, what now? God, how do I react or respond to this trial that I'm going through? Because all of us have been through times of trial. If you're sitting here today and you can't really think of a time of real trial or suffering that you went through, I'm just telling you, you better be preparing for it now because you will go through a time like that. And if you've lived a charmed life so far and you feel just like you've been kind of skimming the surface of life and living kind of a Uh, by the seat of your pants, kind of lucky or fortunate, whatever. Uh, You might call that blessed. I'm telling you that suffering in times of doubt and darkness will come your way, and you're going to have to find a way to experience the blessing of God in that, and not just in the good times. And so this is a time for you to prepare yourself for that next season. Honestly, as I prepared this series, you know, a couple months ago when we were really putting the meat on the bone for this series and which week would we would talk about what, this was the week that gave me the most uh, caution or, or like uh, fear and anxiety because I, I feel like a hypocrite sometimes talking to people who've probably been through a lot more pain than me about, you know, how to deal with pain. Because what do I have to say about pain and suffering? I'm mid-30s, married, straight, white guy, employed with a master's degree, and my parents are together, and they love me, and I've never doubted that. You know, I've got all these things that have been stacked in my favor, and I haven't really been through a major storm in my life. I've never lost someone really, really close to me 
or I've never had everything just, you know, the rug pulled out from under me, and so, you know, how can I stand? You know, so I was thinking, um, even on, as recently as Thursday, I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to say to people about pain and suffering? Like, I started trying to think, what's the, what's the hardest thing I've been through this week? And this was Thursday, right? What's the hardest thing I've been through? And all I could think about was how they changed the coffee bins in the HEB bulk coffee thing, but they didn't change the labels. And so I came home with this disgusting flavored coffee instead of my Ethiopian Yurgachev coffee that I love and invest my life in, you know, and I paid good money for. And they gave me this coconut flavored dark roast Ugh, it just drove me crazy. And I, you know, I've had to, I, I'm not, I paid for it, so I'm going to drink it. And I just, I, every sip, I just hate life more. You know, like I just, it was, as, as of Thursday, that was the hardest thing I went through this week. And the other hard thing that my family's going through right now is that we're between houses, right? We're moving. And we've been moving for like, it feels like six weeks. We've been moving. And so some of our stuff is here and some of our stuff is here. And I thought, what a pain it is to not know which of my houses my stuff is in. You hear how spoiled that is? Do you hear the... Tell me you hear the problem with these people. Otherwise, you're just as bad as I am. Is all my stuff in my River Oaks townhouse I rent or in my Montrose house that I bought? Like, <laughs> these are my problems, right? So I, how can I stand here and talk to you about your problems and your pain and your suffering when I'm unfamiliar in large part? That was Thursday, and then the weekend happened. And we had an earthquake in Ecuador my wife's home country, where all of her family is, 7.7, at least 100 people confirmed dead, thousands missing or unaccounted for. People are under the rubble as we speak right now in my wife's home country, not knowing and being powerless. And it's, it's a certain kind of grief. It's a certain kind of anxiety for my wife and for me. Um, all her close family is accounted for and safe, by the way. But still, it's tough. And then I got a call from one of my best friends in this congregation on uh, Friday night. And he told me that a young man who called this community, this service, actually, he usually sat right over here, that he took his own life, shocking just everyone close to him. And I was devastated. Because how could, this, how could this happen? Because in October, this guy sat among you, your brother sat among you, and he decided to give his life to Jesus. And he was so on fire, he was so excited, and it was just like something clicked, he said, in his, in his life, in his heart. And he began wrestling with the questions, you know, really wrestling with the questions that had been on his mind. And I met with him for lunch, and this guy who called me always, who was meeting with him, and I would talk to him after the services, and we were trying our best to surround him with community and get him involved in a small group of things like that. But uh, something, some darkness, some depression was still there. Now he's gone. Now parent, there's, there's two parents here that won't hold their little boy again, their boy that they raised from a baby. And there's a community that won't see his face again. I won't see his face again. The face that I took for granted after every service and the smile and the wisecracks and, <laughs> and uh, you know, he had a certain accent. And just, 
I just can't wrap my head around it, guys. And honestly, I don't know if it's my own complex or if everybody does this, but my first thought was, what more could I have done? Where did I go wrong as a pastor? Should I have been more excited to see him? You know, should I have put my arms around him a little bit more often? Should I have invited him for lunch more often? Should I have done a little bit more to connect him to a group of people that would look after him? Where did I fall short? What did I do wrong? And then my mind immediately went from blaming myself to blaming God. And God, where were you in this? This guy gave his life to Jesus. This guy was yours now after some years of wandering and you know, just going along with life you know, and whatever. He, he gave his life to you and you should have helped him through this, God. How could you leave him alone? In this time, how could this, how could it come to this? Just did not make sense. It still doesn't. And if it's your first time here today, I am so sorry. This is going to feel a little funerally, but look, this is something our community has to deal with, and we, I hope, will see this as an opportunity to know it's okay to come to church and not be happy. It's okay to come to church and not have a mask on your face and pretend like everything's okay. Nobody here is going to think you're weird if you show up and weep at church. In fact, I would say that one of the greatest lies we've ever been told is that the purpose of your life is to feel happy. One of the greatest lies the church has ever told is that the purpose of the Christian life is for God to make you happy. And you hear that lie all the time. It's not just in church. You hear it in the world, too. You hear it from advertisers, right? All the commercials say, eat our product, drink our product, buy our product, drive our product, and you will be happier than you were before. Now, in light of this kind of uh, you know, messaging, which you see not only in advertising, but also on social media, you see it on Snapchat. Nobody's ever sat on Snapchat. They got rainbows coming out of their mouths and stuff. Like, how can you be sad with that happening? Everybody's, everybody's happy on Snapchat. Everybody puts their best foot forward on Facebook. Everybody posts their vacation pictures like they have the perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect life, perfect job, whatever. Everybody puts the happiness out there. And if you internalize that and think, everyone else is happier than me, what's wrong with me? You're going to find yourself in a pretty dark place. But I would, I would hope that in response to this kind of false advertising, the church would offer an alternative message that says, this is not really how it is. Let's talk about how life really works. But instead of doing that, we have seen advertisers getting rich off of selling happiness, and we've doubled down, and we've just followed suit. We've been doing the same thing for a generation, selling happiness, not necessarily to get rich, but to put people in the seats. You know, we've said, yeah, Coke makes you happy, but have you tried Jesus and his blood? You know, that's weird. But So, like, you know, German engineering is great, but have you tried Jewish carpentry? You know, like this kind of, this kind of switch where, like, that makes you happy, but this will make you really, really happy. Which is a good idea in theory, and I know it's well-intentioned, but you guys, the gospel promise is not that you're going to be happy. God's purpose for your life is not necessarily that you will feel happiness all the time. And as long as we are giving people that message as the church, as long as we're raising our kids to believe that if they're good with God, they're going to feel happiness in their hearts, when life gets hard, when it hits the fan, they go to college, or they have doubts and questions, or they lose someone, or, or something goes wrong, they're going to wonder where that God is that you told them about that would make them happy. 
They're going to wonder if it was all a lie. They're going to wonder if maybe that God's real, but he doesn't care about them or what they did wrong to make God mad at them. You know, that kind of thing will lead people down some bad theological paths. We have to have a better story to tell. And I'm not saying today that God's will for your life is that you're not happy. I'm just saying that's not the core purpose of your life. It's not your feelings of happiness for which you were created. You were created for a purpose, but until you find out what that purpose really is, no happiness is going to come your way. No real happiness, no lasting joy is going to come your way. So I want to spend a little bit of uh, time talking today about some ways uh, that, uh, that our scars make us stronger. Because the fact is, this movement that we're a part of, this Jesus movement, didn't begin with Jesus saying, come on, y'all, I'll make your lives easier. Jesus said, guys, take up your crosses and follow me. And the journey we walk, it's going to hurt. It's going to be a sacrifice. But you're going to find in yourself a kind of holiness, a kind of purpose you didn't know existed before. You know, 11 of the 12 men that Jesus called to start his movement died under persecution. Many of them were crucified like Jesus was. The 12th, John, died in exile on an island alone. These guys committed themselves to something greater than themselves, and ironically, they didn't go around preaching a message of uh, happiness and you know, ease or convenience. The movement grew because they laid down their life for this. So how did 12 men become 1.2 billion people who call themselves Christians today? Not by offering an easy life, it was by, by sacrificing themselves, laying themselves down for something greater. So your scars, the things you go through, the pain, the suffering that you feel in this life, it can make you stronger. You may not believe it when you're in the midst of it, but I'm telling you, your scars can make you stronger. So you have your study guides. I just want to walk through some biblical truths about suffering and about pain, a few ways that this happens. Jesus promises us that life is going to hurt sometimes, especially if we're following him. He says, pain can lead you into a deeper intimacy with God. Pain can lead to deeper intimacy with God. This is not a given. This does not happen automatically. It only happens when there's trust already in your relationship with God, when the storm comes, right? This uh, is a passage from 1 Peter. This is the words of Peter, the disciple of Jesus, the rock, right? Peter says, for to suffering you have been called, Christians, for to suffering you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body, on his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Jesus' suffering brings you closer to God, but your suffering also, your times of pain, can also galvanize your relationship with God. Your intimacy with God can grow deeper during times of uncertainty and suffering. So, quick example. I remember uh, when I married Giovanna, um, and I look back on our life together, and I think we would both say that one of the hardest seasons of our lives was the first five years of our marriage. 
I don't know how you would answer that question. What's, the, what's been one of the hardest seasons of your life? As you look back, what was the, what was the most difficult stretch of time and, and why? You can talk about that with your small groups or, or on the way home in the car or whatever, but I look back at that first five years of our marriage. It was tough. It was so tough, and not in a funny way. Just, uh, she didn't put the dishes away right. or what? It wasn't, I mean, it was really, really hard to stay together. We were 20 when we got married. And so everybody at our wedding thought she was pregnant, of course, um, but uh, she wasn't. We had never, you know, spent the night together or anything. That was one of the reasons I was getting married at 20, frankly, if I can be honest, <laughs> for a second. Could I get an amen, guys? All right. So, uh, and so, you know, but I, I don't think either of us knew what was, what was coming in marriage. We were broke. We were in college. Uh, she was, you know, we're from different cultures. She's from Ecuador. I'm from uh, East Texas, the Sticks, which is an even more foreign culture than Ecuador <laughs> to many of you. Uh, just backwoods, you know, living is what I was used to. And, and so half my family is, you know, Southern folk, not always racially appropriate. And my wife is, uh, is from Ecuador. And so, of course, they called her a Mexican and all this crazy stuff. And just, you know, we had all these problems. We were always fighting, you guys, always, just tooth and nail. We're both very stubborn. And so um, I think that same stubbornness that led us not to listen to the voices telling us, don't get married, don't get married, were the same, is the same stubbornness that almost led us to divorce five years in. Honestly, uh, no one would have blamed us for getting divorced at 25. Our, our marriage was that broken, we were, we were fighting that often. We had family issues with, our, with both our sides of the family. You know, I, uh, I was sleeping on the couch a lot of the time, and we were just uh, uh, not communicating. And uh, it was a broken marriage. And as I look back on that, uh, I, I always think, you know, every logical person, you know, in my life would have said, just cut bait and run, you know? Just move on. This is not going anywhere good. And if you've made that decision to divorce and think this is not about your decision. This is just about my own story here. But I can just tell you that as deeply as those five years, those first five years carved a space within us, as deeply as we were cut during those first five years, God during the next 11 years has filled that void that was cut open within our relationship with more grace and more love than we ever thought possible, teaching us after that season of pain and impatience and, and suffering together, teaching us how to love each other like Jesus loved us all along. And, and the same thing happens in your relationship with God. During the hard times, it can feel like there is a space and emptiness being carved within you. I'm telling you, if you hold on, I can tell you from experience, when you hold on during those seasons, God's grace will come in the aftermath and fill you to overflowing with his love and with his grace and with his mercy if you trust and hold on during the seasons of uncertainty and pain. Even when you don't think you have the strength to hold on. That's what happens. And I will even tell you that the deeper life cuts you, the more God's love will fill you. And the more capable you will become of loving others the same way God has loved you. This is a very important point, and I want to be sure I'm clear. I'm not suggesting today that every bad thing that happens to you is the will of God, is God's doing, right? You hear me on this? Please. I'm not suggesting that every bad thing that's happened to you 
was God's preordained will for your life. That's not what we believe here. Some do, and that's all right. But look, I think there's a reason God, that Jesus encourages us to pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's all kinds of things that happen every day here on earth that are not the will of God. Some things that have happened to you are not God's will for your life. Okay? Sometimes the things that happen to you are the result of your own will, making bad choices. Sometimes the things that happen to you are the result of someone else's will for your life, doing things to harm you. Sometimes, you know, Jesus says Satan is the ruler of this world, the prince of the earth still. Sometimes the things that happen in this world are the will of Satan, the enemy, whatever you want to call him. But what I am telling you is that even though not everything that happens to you is the will of God, God in his infinite wisdom and power will take whatever you do to yourself or someone else does to you or the enemy does to you, and he will take it and redeem it and reshape it into something good later on down the road. He will take it and transform it to become something beautiful. The ugliest thing you will ever go through can become beautiful. Because that's how great God's mercy really is. So, um, in uh, John 15, uh, this is the second point, uh, that your pain, can, your pain can lead to new growth. Your pain can give way to new growth. And this is John 15. This is where Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is, this is hours before he is going to be arrested. He says this to the disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. So up until here, all Christians everywhere are on board with Jesus, right? So Jesus is the vine. This is an analogy, right? An agricultural analogy. Jesus says, I am the vine. Everything grows out of, of Jesus. My father, God the Father, is the vine grower. He's the farmer that cultivates uh, and nourishes the vine to make it grow. And then God removes every branch in Christ that bears no fruit. These are the people that know Jesus or say they know Jesus, but they don't bear any of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. Can anyone name it? $5, someone that can name it? I got a $5 bill in my pocket. I'm serious. All right. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, those are the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. That's what comes out of your life, out of your living, whenever the Holy Spirit abides in your heart and you give your life to God. That's what happens. Your life just emanates these fruit, fruits everywhere that you go, your, your work, your church, your school, your home. So, Anyone who says they're a Christian or knows God and his love and they don't bear fruit in their lives, they're cut off. Most Christians are okay with that part. Okay, that's fine. But then Jesus goes on to say, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. This is good Christians. This is church-going, fruit-bearing believers that Jesus is talking about here. He says God prunes them. Good Christian people, believing, faithful people, God prunes them. What is pruning? To prune is to cut. To cut is to hurt. It is a hurtful action, at least for a moment. This is a hard teaching, y'all, because while some things aren't the will of God for your life, I, I think it's clear that sometimes things happen to us for the purpose of cutting us back. To cut us back 
to cut us down a little bit, to bring us back down to earth a little bit, to remind us that God is God, we are not, for the purpose of bearing more fruit. Anyone here who has a green thumb will tell you the purpose of pruning is not to hurt the plant or destroy the plant or get rid of the plant. The purpose of pruning is always to bring about more fruitfulness in your life. Sometimes the hard moments in your life, even though you can't see it when you're in the midst of it, later will bring about more fruitfulness in the way that you live, in the, the lives that you touch. I heard a guy talking recently about how the most uh, uh, fruitful time in his life with Jesus was when he was diagnosed with cancer and he was battling cancer. And I thought, what, a, what an amazing thing to say. I, I just couldn't reconcile that. I'm not sure that would be my reaction to getting cancer. I think I would, you know, pout and sit around and mope. Um, but this guy said, that's when I grew the most in my faith. And he said, you know, when you're battling a life-threatening disease, you don't know how many days you have left on this earth. Only the things that matter, matter. When you're facing a diagnosis like cancer, like he faced, he said, you know, it gives you a new perspective on life. He said, I didn't spend one minute worrying about who The Bachelor was this season. Like, I, when you have cancer, you don't care if the Astros get off to a slow start like they are this year. When you have cancer, you don't care if those genes make my butt look fat. You know, when you have cancer, you don't, you don't care. You don't care if our next president is going to be the multi-billionaire sociopath or the multi-millionaire sociopath. Like, which, which one? It doesn't, it doesn't matter when you have cancer in front of you because you only care about the things that matter. It gives you perspective. It cuts you back a little bit from the things that don't always matter, the things that don't bear fruit in your life so that you can bear more fruit. He said, the whole time I had cancer, even though I was exhausted and nauseous from the chemo, I got on my knees every night and I wrestled with my boys. Even though the room was spinning and I felt awful, I got on my knees and I wrestled with my kids. It took every ounce of energy that I had left, but nothing mattered more than wrestling with my boys when I was battling cancer. He said, when they went to bed, I would read my Bible. I would get on my knees and pray. I would look my wife in the eye and I would listen to her fears and I would cry with her. And in the morning, I would get on my knees again and ask God for the strength to live another day. Because when you face a trial, when you face pain, when you struggle, it's an opportunity to bear new fruit and experience new growth in your life as a follower of Jesus. The hardest seasons of your life can be a time for God to cut you down a little, to make room for new growth you never thought possible. Third, the aftermath of your pain. When the storm finally dies down, and I promise that it will if you're in the middle of something right now, I promise that it won't always feel the way that it feels today. And in the aftermath of your pain, God can use what you went through to make you a witness to others. In the aftermath of your pain, you will be a witness. This is from 2 Corinthians 12. Paul writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. There is strength in your weakness. 
Now, when Paul wrote these words, he had been imprisoned several times. He had been shipwrecked three times. I'm just like, shipwrecked three times, you know? <laughs> Stop getting on a ship. <laughs> like, just give up. You're, you know, it's a snake bit kind of. Just uh, give it up. But he just kept, he kept wanting to travel, you know? He kept wanting to plant churches all over the place. He, he, he kept at it even though he had been uh, stoned. He had been beaten with whips. He had been arrested. He'd been abandoned and betrayed. Now, looking at his life, you might have thought that Paul uh, would be depressed. You might think that he would give up, but he never gave up. He constantly went out to share the hope of the gospel, even though he was going through some, what some might call hell on earth. And what's even more interesting is that directly through his ministry, thousands of people came to know the hope of Jesus. Indirectly through his ministry, 1.2 billion of us today came to know Jesus but directly through Paul's ministry, thousands of people came to know Jesus. And it wasn't in spite of his story of shame and suffering. It was because of his stories of shame and suffering that Paul had a platform. Paul's pain gave him the platform that he needed to share the hope God wanted him to share. This is another way that God can bring about something beautiful from the ugliness of your past. God can take whatever it is that you have been through in your life and he will, once you're through it, use you to tell a story of hope. Because the things you've been through, they've left you scarred. Many of you bear the scars of loss and pain and shame. And every scar that you bear tells a story that needs to be told, a story of survival. And once you're through the pain you went through, there will be others that God puts in your path who are going through today what you survived yesterday, and they will need your witness. And God will place you in their life for such a time as this, and you will be there to share with them what they need to hear to survive like you survived. And it may sound creepy to you, but I keep a list of what y'all go through and who you are, your names, and the things that you survive. I, in one of my 70,000 notebooks that I keep around, I need to remember the things you've been through. So I need to know which of you have lost a child. I need to remember which of you have lost a job. Who of you have been divorced? I need to know which couples here have faced the pain of infertility and all the treatments and all the public, you know, humiliation that they put you through. I need to know who here has been through addiction, who here is surviving depression. That doesn't just make me a better pastor to you in terms of what you've dealt with. I need to know and remember those things because when someone new comes in the door and says, I'm struggling here, I'm struggling with this, I need to know exactly where to send them. I've got a family of people in this room right now who need to know how to survive the loss of their brother, their son. And I need those of you who survived that to help us through this. Because I don't know what that's like. I'm not equipped to counsel people in that kind of pain. But some of you are. And I'm telling you that God will use you if you let him. God will use you to be a witness of hope to other people. And that's what we need when we're at the worst of it, is a reason to hope. For people who are in the thick of it, there is no greater reason 
to hope than talking with somebody who's been through what they're going through and survived. The most shameful thing you've been through, the ugliest, darkest moment of your life, if you let him, God will use that, that moment, that season, that shame that you survived to bring hope to someone else so that they will know what you found out through your battle, that you were loved, that your life matters. Someone who hasn't been through what they're going through can't tell them that. Only you can. And if you're in the midst of it, you need to hear this today. You are loved and your life matters. That's the reason we gather here. That's the reason Jesus came and endured the worst kind of shame and the worst kind of pain, overcame the worst kind of death so that we would always know there is nothing that can hold us back from him and his love. There is nothing better said that could hold him back from loving us just as we are. That's what his death and resurrection mean. It was the darkest day in human history, and Jesus overcame it. He had the scars to show for it, and he will use your scars as well to tell the same story to someone who is struggling through today. That they are loved. Their life matters. During communion today, we're going to have normal communion time like we always do. Pastor Gio is going to lead that. But I'm going to be standing here with this water, this baptism water. I know there are many of you here who've already been baptized as infants or younger in, you know, earlier in your life. Uh, but you've lived a different life than maybe what you promised to on your baptism day or what your parents promised you would live when they had you baptized. You felt distance from God. You felt some purposelessness. And you know today God is speaking to your heart to make a change. I'm just asking you to come and join me for a second. And let me put a little water of remembrance on your head. I'm not rebaptizing you. We're just remembering your baptism. And we're saying today is a new day. And we're going to surround you with love. We're going to surround you with hope. We're going to remind you as often as we can that your life matters and you are loved. If you've never been baptized, consider this today. Don't let the moment pass. Everything can turn around today. It won't be easy. You'll not always feel happy. But I'm telling you, your life will be full of meaning and purpose. The purpose of God, the purpose of Christ. You can come and see me during communion, and I'll ask you your name. And if you've never been baptized, we'll baptize you here. It's a part of the story. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we wonder sometimes why every Sunday can't be Easter Sunday and why can't we always be happy and wear our best clothes and put our best foot forward. But God, sometimes life just hits us right between the eyes. And sometimes we don't know how to smile. We don't know how to sing. We don't feel like walking through these doors. We feel like just giving up sometimes, God. And I'm praying today, especially for those who are deep in despair, for we as a community have been rocked. We pray that we would be reminded of your mercy and your love that never gives up and never fails. We trust you. We ask that you use us, even in our pain, to share a message of hope with others. In Jesus' name, amen.